So Money, episode 281, Donovan X. Ramsey. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnoosh, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and, and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes, a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing, tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning. And this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, All the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
Now, today's guest is my former editorial assistant and right-hand guy, Donovan X. Ramsey, who is now, I can proudly say, an accomplished journalist focusing on the topic of Black identity, politics, and patterns of power in America. His work has appeared in countless top publications, including the New York Times, The Atlantic, GQ, Gawker, Ebony, among others. Donovan also serves as a fellow at Demos, the New York City-based public policy think tank where he's currently currently gearing up to cover race in relation to the 2016 presidential race. So keep an eye on Donovan's work. He's also heavily involved in the national movement to reform the criminal justice system. Some great takeaways from our time with Donovan, including his strategy for profiting from his passion, which is, of course, journalism and writing at a young age. Some things they just don't teach you in graduate school. How he landed a byline in the New York Times and the Atlantic and all these great places so early on in his career and financial lessons from growing up, as he says, quite poor back in Ohio, what he wishes he learned about money as a kid. Here is Donovan X. Ramsey. Donovan X. Ramsey, welcome to the show, a former Farnoosh Inc. employee, now taking on the world. I'd like to take a little bit of credit for your success, but obviously you're so money. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's good to be here. So what's going on, man? I mean, you were working for me for a little bit over a year. I had the privilege, the honor, the great opportunity to get to know you. You helped me tremendously build my business, helping with so much of my work. I got you right as you were graduating Columbia. You were working at Money Magazine. You had very, very high aspirations, which I love seeing in young people. You know, I try to encourage especially young people to just Think big. And what was the one thing I told you? I said, I said, don't say no, right? I mean, you were kind of like, Farnoosh, I don't know what to do. I have all these opportunities. I'm like, just do them all. Because <laughs> you never yep. know. You never know where your opportunity is going to strike. And so tell me a little bit about how your life's been since you left working for me. I know you have been given a fellowship. You're doing amazing work. I saw your byline in the Times. What is going on? <laughs> Yeah, so for uh, all the listeners out there, um, Farnoosh gave me some of the best advice in my career, and she gets all the credit for anything that I've done <laughs> since then. Because no, you like seriously told me you said uh, don't say no to anything. the The best thing that a young professional can do is be as open as possible to every opportunity. You say, you know, make it work, figure it out, but you never know where you know the sort of big break can come from or what you know, tunnel will lead to a great rabbit hole, all of that stuff. So thank you. It was tremendous. Well, you're welcome. I'm just so proud. And I say that in a very loving, I hate when sometimes people say I'm so proud of you because sometimes it's like condescending, but I'm really, really, really proud of you. And so in awe of what you've accomplished, tell, I know one of your big breaks or one of your um, sort of like great moments among many is I remember you wrote a story about police precincts and how they go about tabulating, recording the number of basically deaths at the hand of policemen and policewomen, right? And because this is like not something that, believe it or not, as a country, we really have a uniform way of of recording, which is horrible. And this went viral. Yeah, yeah. So um, I absolutely loved writing about personal finance, as you know. 
<laughs> but it wasn't exactly where my heart was. So to kind of to make a long story short, um, after having um, really great experience working for you and figuring out a lot about journalism, the business, um, the, the practice of being a journalist, um, how to be a working journalist, which is really hard, but, you know, very important. Um, I really did understand that that my heart was really with reporting on social issues. Um, back in 2013 or so, there was a, a story about a police killing a woman named Miriam Carey in D.C. I don't know if people remember that, but she was um, shot outside of the White House. And uh, to me, it just seemed sort of like such a really stark, you know, example of something that I thought was a, a greater issue. So, um, you know, uh, after working for you, I sort of went kind of head first into taking on these topics. And it, um, you know, has been very fruitful in that I've been able to report on some things that I think are uh, hopefully pretty significant, in, including the piece that you just mentioned, which was um, examining. It was for ESPN's 538 website. I was examining the process uh, that police go through to actually document uh, police shootings. And yeah, one of the things that, that we uncovered with, uh, with with that piece, that was back in 2013, I think, that uh, there is no way that the police have that standard really for calculating how many folks are killed by the police every year. And the federal government doesn't have a, a standardized tool to, to calculate that. So, um, you know, people are now very interested in, uh, you know, how police do their job and in particular uh, police shootings. Uh, But one of the sort of very basic questions at the root of that, you know, of course, is, well, how many people are killed by the police every year? And uh, it's something that, you know, sadly, we don't yet know the answer to. So, Donovan, if I may, you know, fill in the blanks for me, but I want to just kind of dissect a little bit about your your growth, your strategy as a young person being very successful. You are following your passion, which is journalism, but you're also being really smart and strategic about the way that you are creating success for yourself. You know, you're looking at stories that no one else is looking at and you're diving really deep. And I think that's been very rewarding for you. And also you're casting a pretty wide net. You're, you're, you know, you're not saying no to opportunities, uh, but you're also being very diverse in the opportunities that you're reaching for. So for example, now you're a fellow at Demos and this was something that maybe at the time seemed like a long shot, but you applied for it and you got it. Brag about yourself a little bit, give yourself a little bit of credit and talk about the seeds that you've been planting that's now that are now growing and manifesting. Sure. So, yeah, about a year ago, I applied. I mean, I've I've been freelancing for years, as you know. So, um, uh, you know, after J school, I worked with you. Um, I was still freelance writing at the time. I had a few other uh, journalists who I worked with editing and, you know, different types of things like that, which are really actually very helpful when it comes to um, for a person who is freelancing and sort of trying their hand at at a trade or anything like that to actually be connected to other professionals, people more senior than you that sort of know a bit more about the job and about the industry, um, you know, if you can assist them and just be around them generally, it's very helpful. So uh, from there, really, you know, I'm not just saying this to make, you know, to sort of flatter you, but seeing you work, uh, you know, and and be a working journalist and a businesswoman um, really gave me lots of inspiration to say, like, I, I could do this. You know what I mean? Like, I can figure this out for myself and make a living at it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I took your advice to follow every opportunity. 
Um, I got uh, a tip from a friend who said, you know, you should apply for this fellowship. It's right up your alley in terms of what my interests were as a reporter and just as a person, really. Um, and the Demos Fellowship, it's their Emerging Voices Fellowship, which is really great because it uh, more or less funds the work of a young journalist uh, for a year. So uh, I applied for that about a year ago and got the fellowship. I was so surprised because there were so many people I later found out who were applying for it. Um, uh, I got told that I actually beat out like a 10-time Jeopardy winner. Right. <laughs> Which means that in some way, I kind of won Jeopardy, if you think about it. <laughs> and Wheel of Fortune and all of the other to- all of the other game shows, for sure. So tell us about, about Demos. I'm really curious to know what that has um, helped you. How has that helped you grow as a journalist? And I know that perhaps it's, it's why it's correlated to how you got into the New York Times and some of these other prestigious publications. I know that you're still aiming for the New Yorker. That was yes. one of your you know, top goals and we were working together and I thought, wow, this guy really has a lot of ambition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You're connecting the dots. So bravo to you. How has this fellowship benefited you and should maybe more young adults be looking at opportunities like this? Yeah. So Demos has been great. Demos is a public policy think tank based here in New York. And what they do, you know, as a think tank is like the typical research, writing. They do some um, uh, advocacy work, actually going out there in a nonpartisan way to say, hey, here's what our issues are. And um, and sort of trying to advance different um, policies and social causes. So uh, what they do and, and, and have done for me is pretty much just uh, supported me uh, financially uh, for the past year, which has really given me the opportunity to just slow down and to be able to uh, not necessarily, you know, worry about paying the rent in New York City, but to be able to, you know, sit down strategically and say, what's my path for career growth? What are the stories that I definitely want to tell and where do those stories need to be in order to, um, you know, emerge within my career? Um, so, yeah, so at the beginning of, uh, I guess it was last year, I actually had time. And I really think that too few freelancers have the opportunity to do this, but to say, over the course of this year, what do I want to accomplish? Um, And how am I going to accomplish that? So, you know, there was a story that I wanted to tell about policing in America that I broke down into um, several stories and narratives. Um, And I knew that I wanted to reach people with the work. Um, so, you know, before that it was all about, you know, I just want to write this piece and I want to get it out there that I'm following my passion, but you know, to what end? So, um, so I was able to say, no, like I want to reach as many people as possible. I want to reach influential people. I want to maybe, you know, change policy. I want to touch people's hearts. And that meant that I had to take a, a much more, um, uh, intentional look at where I was publishing. So, you know, um, you know, people want to be in outlets like, you know, the like New Yorker, but I wanted to be in the New Yorker originally because it's so well edited. It's such a beautiful magazine and, you know, it's just put together well. And as a journalist and a person that cares about the craft, I'm like, oh, like I would love to have a piece in there. But, um, you know, throughout the fellowship, I started thinking more about the New Yorker and outlets like uh, the New York Times as places that not only have large readerships, but also really influential readerships. Um, so I think that I've been able to sort of carve out, you know, some early success over the past year or so, because I sort of went into the process with that, uh, intention and the folks at Demos are, you know, um, uh, great 
at guiding me through that. You know, Rich Benjamin, who is like my Yoda there. <laughs> He's the director <laughs> of fellows, you know, sat me down. Uh, he actually drew something really sort of like a kidney bean shaped diagram where he said, you know, carve out five really big goals for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll sort of go through them one by one, make a plan for, for achieving each of those goals. So, you know, I presented what must have been like a 10 page proposal of, um, you know, what I wanted to do, um, how I was going to do that deadlines for, for completing those things. And it's been a really helpful guide. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think has made this past year so special for my career is that, you know, often people who are uh, freelancing or working for themselves, you're sort of just keeping up this pace of working, working, working. And you don't necessarily always have the time to uh, sit down and manage your career. And, uh, you know, when you work in an office space or for a company, you have a manager. There is a person that has goals for you, who's evaluating you, who is thinking about, you know, um, uh, what the next step is for you. But sometimes when we're doing that for ourselves, we never take the time to say, you know, what are my goals and am I meeting them? Um, so uh, to have an opportunity like the one I have at Demos, where there are people doing that for me, but I'm also encouraged to do that for myself, uh, has, has really been tremendous. So after you leave this incubator, what's next? What have you thought about since you've become kind of this planner and this career manager? What is going to be for you on the outside? Are you a little scared? Uh, a little. So I got really lucky that they were happy with the work that I was doing at Demos. They decided to extend my fellowship for about another year. So I'm really... Okay, <laughs> well, that answers that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, also, um, yeah, like I'm starting to think now, now that I've done a few of the things that were on my list, the, the New Yorkers still need to be ticked off and I'm emailing them about every week about something. <laughs> so I can finally Good. place that piece. But... Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking still to to the end of wanting to be able to tell really important stories about um, racial equity in this country, about social justice in this country, that I've done some things, but of course, there's still so much work to be done. So um, really what I would love to do after my uh, fellowship is up, if they don't want to give me an additional year <laughs> after this one, then then I think I you know would like to write a book. Um I would like to follow in your footsteps, Farnoosh, maybe have a column um, on on the issues that I care about, because it's 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 one thing to be able to contribute significant work. But it's another thing to actually, you know, cultivate a voice within the spaces that you care about. Right. And, you know, again, I have, you know, your example of, you know, what it means to. Uh, be an expert in something. And I think that the task of writing a book, actually sitting down for a project that long, meeting that many people, asking yourself that many questions um, uh, produces an expertise uh, that I would like to have, you know, when it comes to social justice and racial equity. In tandem to researching your book, maybe do a podcast. Because for me, the podcast has been a great vehicle to go deep, dive deep into issues that I care about, bring on people that I've always wanted to meet and pick their brains. And little by little, day by day, I've got this 
content archive of really rich and valuable insights, takeaways, truth bombs, whatever you want to call them. And I think that for me, it's been great to go through all the transcripts. And, you know, I share a lot of what I do on the podcast in print form through articles. But who says it couldn't be a book one day, you know, and I think that could be a really great it could serve you in a lot of ways, the podcast. Um, And you're so great as a conversationalist. So something to think about. Don't. And if you do it, you can thank me later. (laughs) <laughs> always, 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 always. I want the. Uh, um, pretty soon I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be charging you like ten percent of uh, <laughs> everything. No, I'm just kidding. Well, speaking of money, uh, what's your money philosophy? Tell me this. Tell me what's your money philosophy in all of your. What are you now? Twenty seven, twenty six. I'm twenty eight. Twenty eight. Okay. Oh, well, please. tell me what is your money philosophy? Having now experienced. You know, I, I'm sure you had a, a broke period, as, as many of us in our 20s in New York coming from journalism school do, to now actually like, you know, being standing on your own two feet and doing great work. What's your money philosophy? Yeah, uh, my money philosophy, I think, is uh, to live and work from a place of abundance, if that makes I mean, it sort of also fits my like social philosophy. But I think that's something that I really struggled with coming out of J school um, I sort of had this this drive where I didn't want to be that J school graduate who didn't have a job. So, you know, I sort of might have taken some jobs that, you know, ultimately didn't help my career. I, I think that I made lots of uh, decisions for my career that were based on uh, just just not wanting to be broke, to be honest. <laughs> you know, so I was, um, you know, at one point writing some like relationship advice stuff. Oh, it was terrible, too. Oh, my God. What's your relationship advice? What was that about? <laughs> I, I have no clue. <laughs> but, I can't even remember. OK. It's it's all been blacked out. But, you know, um, I think that if people sort of I mean, of course, always be mindful of your finances. But I think that if you can work from a place of what do I honestly want to do, that that work will one be the most rewarding. But it's also going to be some of your best work. Um, that, you know, if you uh, understand that there is more than enough out there for everybody and that if you just sort of work hard to carve out what your piece of the pie is, then you sort of get those rewards. Um, another thing that I'll say is that working for you, Farnoosh, I learned so much about personal finance. <laughs> like, the good, bad and the ugly. The, 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 the like good, bad and the ugly. So, you know, you um, and your really, really great column for, for Yahoo Finance answering people's questions. I mean, those were things I, I didn't know anything about retirement saving or, you know, I was struggling to pay off my student debt, but I didn't have really a strategy for um, uh, paying off my student debt. So, uh, you know, doing that work and, you know, assisting you in the small ways that I did and just sort of overhearing the advice that you were giving people um, gave me a plan. And it's like, you know, get the plan together, work the plan, and then work as though you have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. And not as though, you know, you're... The plan will manifest. Ex- you have to make the plan. It has to be a conscious thing. Absolutely. And that Yahoo Finance column was no small, you know, small potatoes. It was, it was a lot of work and you you were very much all over that those columns. So thank you for all the hard work there. And by the way, do you have a Roth IRA now? You better. Yes, of course I do. Okay, good. All right. Just want to check. (laughs) (laughs) Donovan, you grew up, I believe, in Atlanta, right? Ohio. Ohio. Why do I think Atlanta? 
because I went to school in Atlanta for five, for for mm-hmm. a year and then lived there for another year. And my mom lives in Atlanta now. Gotcha. So I'm not dreaming this up. Okay. Just as, as a transition, would love to know what your earliest money experiences were like. You know, what, how was money discussed, not discussed in your household growing up? What was what's one pivotal memory that you have that now as an adult has really kind of stuck with you and in some way shapes how you see and perceive money? Mm, well, I I grew up relatively poor. So when I think about money growing up, I think about, you know, not having a ton of it. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, raised me and my two sisters, you know, mostly by herself and was able to, you know, advance education wise and career wise, you know, as we were uh, children. So I remember seeing my mom learn a lot about money, really. And I remember, um, huh. It sort of really shapes the way that I think about money. Uh, my grandmother, who would, um, you know, babysit us a lot, um, you know, watch us over the summers and things like that, uh, sort of was like a depression era mother. So I remember that she was a great financial planner. So she would sit down and she would balance her checkbook at the end of every week. And I remember her, um, uh, even making budgets for everything. So there was a food budget. You know, if we were there for the summer, you know, she would give us, she would give us, say, 20 bucks for a week. And she would say, this is your $20. You can spend it however you want to spend it. Uh, you know, you can, you can blow it on junk food. You can save it. That could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I did, you know, but it was sort of having that feeling of financial responsibility and knowing that, you know, no matter how much money I had and whatever was sort of like allotted to me that I had to make the best of. And I think that, um, you know, whether that's something that I really took to heart uh, when I was in college, uh, you know, what, right after I graduated and I was sort of entering the, the workforce and uh, making pennies writing for publications, my thinking was, you know, well, one day it'll be better. But right now, this is what I have and I got to make the best of it. <laughs> so, so I learned to budget very, very, very early. And how to stretch a dollar. Good, good job, mom. Yeah, right. <laughs> it would have been fun to also if she had you and your sister at the end of the week actually show where that money went, you know, oh. maybe have like a conversation around that. Did that ever happen? No, it didn't. And I'm like super competitive, though. So my sister always <laughs> said that I was like a bit of a, um, a a miser with the money that we were given. So uh, my, my older sister is very generous. Um, she she loves to uh, splurge every now and then. So when I was a kid, I would convince her to spend her money on me. So I'm sorry. Wow. All <laughs> right. I knew there was more to this story. Right. What's so, you know. So, yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, I was going to say that, that, that I always had a good portion of that 20 bucks at the end of the week. <laughs> uh, and that was because Brittany was buying me candy. Maybe you had more than $20 because right. you stole your sisters. Well, not stole. You, and con- you manipulated her into giving you some. Donovan, talk about failure. You know, we love failure on this show because it teaches so much about what not to do. And hopefully we can learn from each other's failures. And obviously failure, hopefully it breeds success down the road. What would you say so far is your number one financial failure? Hmm, My number one financial failure. I spent an extra semester in, in undergrad. (laughs) <laughs> that was a financial failure. I um, spent maybe like a year of college where I didn't take it very seriously. It was maybe my junior year, I think. I, um, you know, started off as 
very, very strong student. I was sort of like obsessed with, you know, um, uh, doing well in college. And I think that, you know, because school came fairly easy to me, you know, I, I made really good grades those first two years. And I was sort of just like, hey, like I got the hang of this. And uh, and my junior year slacked off quite a bit at a time when I should have been ramping up uh, my my scholarship. So what I ended up, yeah, I ended up having because of uh, there was a course, a series of courses that I did not complete the first course uh, successfully. <laughs> I um, had to do an extra semester uh, of, of school. And now when I think about just how expensive that is, right, to like be enrolled uh, really just for a few credits because I was sort of just goofing off. Um, and now I'm paying interest on that. <laughs> you, know Jeez. I mean? so, you know, at, at the time you only think about, oh, you know, it's money that I have or, you know, my parents are going to pay for it. But you don't think that, you know, I was taking out loans for an extra semester that had I just been a little bit more diligent. Um, you know, now I wouldn't be paying interest on it. So, and that, I would say, the, by the way, those sirens you're calling in from Brooklyn, which is where I live as well. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, just like, and and I live near a fire department. Well, there you go. I've lived near fire departments all my life in New York. You can't avoid it. You know, I think there's a big myth that college is just four years. College should just be four years, but I think sometimes it's not. It's five years, it's six years, and that could easily increase your student loans, increase your financial stake by like 50%. I don't think that that we prepare young people enough for the fact that, especially if, if you're going to finance your education, that, that you were taking on something of a burden and that those choices have to be made strategically. So, you know, I, um, you know, paid for undergrad. I had some help, you know, in the form of scholarships and paying for undergrad, you know, and my mother certainly helped me pay for it. But I did take out some loans for undergrad and then I wanted to go to grad school. And I think that, you know, um, I, I could have been, again, a lot more intentional about that process because ultimately what happens is you graduate, you have um, debt that has to be serviced in order to maintain your credit, something that I learned, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, working with you. And that um, ultimately that can be really restrictive on some of the decisions that you make, that, you know, that can mean whether or not you get to live in a city like New York, where the cost of living is, is, is fairly high or whether you have to return, you know, if you're from a smaller city or maybe move to a smaller city where, you know, you have no experience. Um, it, it can mean what sort of jobs you can take on, you know, like, am I going to go into journalism am I, or am I going to go into corporate communications uh, just to pay off my debt? Yeah, and, um, and that they seem like really small decisions towards a great goal, which is I want to be one of those people that has a college degree. Uh, but it has to be done in a smart way with um, with with a lot of intention and an eye for what you want to do after. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. I was just on a radio show the other day and we were talking about student loans and, you know, this pretty much this epidemic that we're in. You know, your generation is saddled with so much in student loans. It's unprecedented. And it's really setting your generation behind as far as being able to accomplish things, like just being able to 
have ownership in their life on anything. And so he's like, well, so what's the the takeaway that, you know, college is a bad idea? And I was like, no, have you not been listening? It's that we're going about it wrong. And by we, it's not just the students, but also the system, you know, and the banks and the schools. I think we need to think longer term. You know, when you take out six figures in student loans and you're majoring in, I don't know, psychology, that usually means you're going to go to grad school or if you're just going to graduate with a bachelor's in psychology, I'm sorry, you're not going to make <laughs> that yeah. much money on average. So you have to think about how that's going to impact your life, your future. And it's not to say that you don't deserve an education. It doesn't mean that you can't go to college. It just means that you have to be more strategic and thoughtful about it. Thank you for bringing that up. So it's not just Farnoosh preaching to everybody. It's You're in the trenches. You have felt this. You know yeah. this. What's a success story, Donovan, that you've had? What's your so money moment? My my so money moment. Um, hmm. Let's see. Give me a second. Uh, a financial success. Okay. So, I mean, honestly, I would say that stepping out and making the decision to uh, work for myself to become a freelance journalist something of a so money moment that I, um, you know, had this idea that in order for me to work successfully and to, you know, build a career that I had to work, you know, for a corporate entity. Right. So uh, after graduating J school, as you know, I got a job at a huge company for a uh, major brand, um, but I was unhappy there. And I think that I was sort of like restricted by this financial fear that said that this is the the like thing that I should do. This is what my path should be. And this is how I'm going to be most comfortable. But I didn't have uh, really any idea and not even just that, but I uh, didn't really take time to think about uh, what my earning potential was and, and whether or not I was actually a businessman. So um, when I made the decision to become a freelancer, it was mostly because I was unhappy with the work that I was doing. But what I you know, discovered to my great pleasure was that I was able to earn uh, more money as a freelancer than I was when I was working for that large corporation at the lowest rung on the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was sort of having that uh, independence and then also having the opportunity to learn about the business that I was in. Um, because a lot of people will go through their work lives and you work for a company that's in a business, but you don't know really what that business is or how it operates and moves. And as a freelancer, you have to know how to sell a story. You have to know, you know, what the budgets of different organizations and newsrooms are. You have to know how much each organization pays its freelancers and what your rate can be according to that, Um, how to pay your taxes, how to, you know, elevate your career like a publicist. And um, and to me, it was I mean, it's been a great advantage to where now that I think that I'm sort of hitting something of a stride for my early career years, that it really has been because I had the opportunity to see all sides of the industry that I'm in. Teaching entrepreneurship is not part of the J School 101, as far as I recall. They're not really teaching their students how to be professional freelancers. At least that wasn't the the education that we that was emphasized when I went there a decade ago. What was the education like when you were there, as far as how the world is changing and how to fit into that? Because the truth is, you know, the positions on mastheads at the big magazines they're shrinking. Yeah. There, and so was there any? Uh, are any tools, any 
advice, any anything to help you migrate this new world of media? You know, I got to admit that there wasn't. I mean, I think that I got really important things in terms of I learned how to be a good reporter. I learned how to be an ethical journalist. I learned how to operate within the letter of the law because uh, there are courses on law and, you know, ethics and, of course, reporting. Um, and you spend your time doing a lot of actually putting together packages, but you're not actually engaging. Um, at least that was my experience. And I wasn't actually engaging uh, the industry. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, like you said, newsrooms are shrinking, that more and more people in media, really just more and more people in general, are sort of having to kind of go at um, a career and work on their own. And there aren't enough opportunities to learn, you know, uh, the, the, the business of it. Um, if I had my way, if I was redoing um, any curriculum that I think that students need to be actively engaged in internships, but they should also be engaged in freelancing within any industry that they're in. So if there was some sort of, you know, grade that I got on, you know, how to pitch a story or how to negotiate a rate with an editor or, um, you know, even if it was putting together a newsroom where I had to actually create budgets you know, for the content that we were producing. Donovan, we should teach this. <laughs> we should go back to Columbia. Oh, I'm getting so inspired. I Who do I pitch this to? Do I have to talk to Julie or someone or the dean? I mean, I graduated journalism school with bylines. And it wasn't because my teacher told me how. And I don't blame my teachers. I mean, like you said, you learn so much about how to be a good damn journalist, you know, in, in journalism school, which is so needed in this world, how to tell stories that are true and valid and balanced. But you also got to make the money. You know, right. you want to get out there. You want to have a successful career. You want to be you want people to read your stuff or see your stuff, hear your stuff. So I had a major I majored in business. And so and I had these internships that had me cold calling people all the time. I was used to rejection. So I went to school in journalism school. I would write a story and I go, you know what? I spent three weeks writing the story and now all it's going to get is my teacher to grade it. It's a real story in real New York time with real people and voices. So I went and I would just cold call editors at the New York Post, at the Daily News, at the local papers, and I got published. And it was through a lot of rejection, but I did. And I think that is the kind of grit and the and the the steadfastness and the perseverance that it's teachable. That's the good news. You know, you can teach that. You can at least teach the kind of like the the strategy, the approach. And just to get that going at a school like Columbia, I think will be added value. And now it's cost like $90,000 to go there. I mean, come on, let's teach them how to make that into some real money when they graduate. So anyway, I'm off my stool. I got off my stool. Sorry. I'm so fired up now. I got, I'm going to write an email to the school after this call. Probably it will never get responded, but at least I I can say I (laughs) made an effort Um, and you can be my adjunct. How about that? Hey, I've always (laughs) wanted to work in academia in some capacity. So maybe this is my thing. Okay. Someone's got to hire me first, though. Okay. Let's talk about habits, Donovan. What's your number one money habit? Now that you've got the Roth IRA, you're in, you know, you're independently making your own income stream. What's a habit that helps you kind of keep on track? My number one habit, I would say, is budgeting. And that's probably followed, you know, close number two by, by saving. Um, for me, um, I budget using the Mint app, 
which I find to be incredibly useful because it gives me a uh, system of accountability. So if I look at, you know, and, and this is really important, you know, during the years when I was honestly, you know, paying my rent based on stories that I was freelancing. So when I was getting, you know, paid like a few hundred bucks per story and it had to make sense at the end of the month for what my expenses were. Um, so, uh, that meant actually sitting down at the beginning of the month and saying, here's how much money I would like to make in order to, you know, satisfy my expenses, but also save a little something. Um, and then on the other end of that, so, uh, also, so, so having a plan for your income, but then also having a plan for what your expenses are. So you actually introduced me to a few budgeting apps and I really like Mint because it has those sort of handy reminders um, uh, where it'll tell you, hey, you said you're only going to spend, you know, 20 bucks this month on ATM fees and you just spent 25 bucks. What is going on? <laughs> and it can be a little bit annoying, right? Because you're like, right. Right. I know what I said, but at, but at the same time, it's it's accountability. And because, you know, I'm a young professional, you know, I live alone. I'm in, I'm, you know, I like manage all of my own finances. Um, I need something, even if it's an app uh, uh, to tell me when I'm not doing what I said I would do. OK, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Donovan, we ready. I'm ready. OK, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won one hundred million dollars. The first thing I would do is buy property. Yeah, where would you buy? New York? I don't think that I would buy in New York. I think that I would buy in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio, because, you know, the property is relatively cheap, but it's also a college town. So there um, are plenty of people that might be able to rent it. I have family there that can manage the property. Actually, I kind of have a whole scheme for if I win that 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 lottery, <laughs> how I can, you know, buy some uh, investment property. But I'll... I'll go into it later. Okay. Maybe that's another episode, but that's great. You have a plan. That's good. Having a plan is important. One thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Well, actually, I pay a little extra for the place that I'm in because it's completely renovated. So I have been living in um, uh, apartments in New York for the past few years. It had been older apartments and I was, you know, willing to, you know, pay the rents that I was paying because they were larger apartments. But then I realized that uh, the amount of effort and time that I was putting into, um, you know, handling things with the super and having repairs made, and it just wasn't worth it to me, especially because I'm a journalist and I'm traveling often for stories um, that it was just taking away one, you know, much needed time. But it was also kind of taking away a bit of my quality of life. So. Uh, a few months ago, I, I moved to Brooklyn. I moved into an apartment that no one else has lived in before. Um, and I pay a little bit more than what I paid before. But in terms of what I'm saving in, you know, just energy uh, uh, devoted to the apartment is, you know, certainly worth it. What's one thing you wish you had learned about money growing up? Hmm. Huh. <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I wished... I I wish that I had learned more about um, markets. I mean, I think that I had this understanding or, or, or sort of this thinking that the value for things was just very fixed. You know, that like this car is worth the same thing to everyone, that this effort and this work is worth the same thing to everyone. But I don't think that I understood just how relative, you know, value and, uh, you know, was for things. And I, if I had known more about that, then I think that it would have made me a better negotiator. 
early on. I, I wasn't great at negotiating. Um, and I think that I would have made uh, perhaps some different decisions um, career wise, even, you know, like I, I, I wanted to go to um, graduate school because I thought that then because of some of the value that I thought it would add uh, to me as a journalist, uh, both actual value for my work as a reporter. But I would say also some value in saying, like, you know, hey, I went to Columbia J School, but that's all relative. Right. So um, I don't I don't know if I would have made different decisions career wise, but I think just having some understanding that I was going to be, you know, uh, operating and living in a money world where, you know, things are um, uh, relative would have been very helpful. And last but not least, I'm Donovan Ramsey. Donovan X. What does the X stand for? It's Xavier. Xavier. Okay. (laughs) I like to joke and tell people that it's Xanadu sometimes. Xanadu, xylophone. (laughs) Xerox. (laughs) Donovan X. Ramsey. I'm Donovan X. Ramsey. I'm so money because. I'm so money because. Oh, I don't know. That's a hard question for Anoush. Let's think. It is a little hard. And and sometimes people don't even know what it means. Don't overthink it. You know, you sure, mean, yeah. it's like it's an expression in your mind. It may not even have anything to do with money. You know, it's just like a spirit. It's a it's a confidence. It's a fabulousness. So why are you freaking fabulous? Tell me that, <laughs> you know, maybe that's what I have to start asking people. Why are you fabulous? OK, I am so money because I can generate money based on things that I actually care about. I love that. I think that's so (laughs) special and unique and true. Donovan, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really awesome to catch up with you and I'm happy to help you as you continue to grow your career. You don't need my help anymore, but I'm just happy to, I'm happy to be here and cheer you on from the sidelines. I will always need your help. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me, Farnoosh. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Donovan, his website, DonovanXRamsey.com, or he's on Twitter at IDXR. All this and more back at SoMoneyPodcast.com, including the comments and transcript from this episode and all previous episodes. And if you'd like to ask me a question, and I hope you do, anything about money, life, career, babies, work, guests, click on Ask Farnoosh while you're at SoMoneyPodcast.com and send me your question and I will add it to the queue for Friday's Ask Farnoosh episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.